verses 13 through 20. If you have uh, happened to have left your copy of Scripture at home, you can find that on page 822 in your pew Bible. Matthew 16, beginning with verse 13. Beautiful passage of Scripture, if you'll follow along as I read it out loud, and then we'll talk about at least one verse in there in a moment. Hear God's Word. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. Grass withers, flower fades, but it is the word of our God that stands forever. Would you join me in a quick word of prayer? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, our opportunity, our privilege this morning to worship you, to hear your word read to sing your praises, to pray together for the needs of this church and the world, and now for the, 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 the wonderful opportunity to have your word open to us, to have our hearts open and laid bare before it, and for you to do work in us. We do pray that you would open our eyes, that you would loosen our ears, that you would uh, clear our thinking, that you would... Help us to believe all the wonderful promises that are ours through Jesus Christ, and we pray in his name. Amen. Well, thank you for being here today. I know that you all miss your your pastor, Tim, but uh, as a pastor uh, who is here to plant a new church in Ocean Springs, um, I'm thankful for the opportunity, but I'm also thankful that you let your pastor go for a week, that you give him Sundays off. Pastors need that. They need time to recover. They need, um, they need to be preached to on occasion. So thank you, elders. Thank you, con- congregation, for doing that for Tim and for his family. Uh, if you haven't met me yet, we've been here worshiping with you a couple times. My name is Philip Seeley. I'm actually here on the Mississippi Gulf Coast to plant a church uh, for Grace Presbytery. And just a little biographical information, this is actually our second church plant. Uh, For the past seven and a half years, I have been in a little town called Cullowee, North Carolina, actually planting a church in a slightly bigger town called Silva, North Carolina. That's in the western part of North Carolina in the beautiful mountains. And uh, so we left there to come here and plant another church on the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And uh, on June the 10th of this year, I preached my last sermon to that congregation. Seven and a half years of investing my life and I had one more opportunity to talk to that congregation before I left, really before they sent me 
to plant another church. And I can't really tell you how difficult that sermon was. Uh, there's so much you want to say in a pastoral ministry, uh, so much that you've tried to say the whole time you've been there, but now all of a sudden you've got one sermon uh, to summarize it. And my goal with that sermon was to encourage them as a church as I was leaving and as they were going to continue and move forward because my expectation was that they would do way better without me than they ever would have done had I stayed. So just leaving them that thought of encouragement and that brought me to this passage with them. And as I preached it and as I got ready to come here, it really hit me that this passage um, doesn't just apply where I was, it applies where I'm going, and it applies everywhere that I would preach on any given Sunday. So this is an experiment with you to take this same passage and, and preach it to uh, a different congregation. So bear with me, uh, probably my least favorite thing to do as a pastor is to preach to a congregation that's not my own. I don't know you. I don't know your struggles. I don't know much at all about you, but I do know this. God's word is true. And what God diagnoses about our hearts is true. So there's some common themes for all of us, common themes of the church that I hope we're able to, to hit on today. And in particular, I want us to look at verse 18 and focus in on it. Um, Jesus had gathered his disciples he began to ask them questions, not because he didn't know the answer, but because he wanted them to articulate the answer. Jesus had been ministering for about two years now. Jesus had sent his disciples off two by two. They had come back. They were gathered together, and at some point as they're traveling, Jesus just looks at them and says, Hey, what do people say about me? He was trying to get them to engage that most important question. Who's Jesus? Why is he here? What do people understand about that? So think about this as the foundation of the New Testament church beginning. He's asking them that pressing question. What do people think about Jesus? That question hasn't gone away, has it? As we uh, work, as we live in a community, that's a, a question to periodically ask people. Tell me who Jesus is. But the most important question comes later. They tell him what people said. Some say you're John the Baptist back from the dead. Some say you're just a prophet. Some say you're somebody else. And then he looks at them. And he says, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And notice what Peter says. Peter gives the gospel. You're the Christ the Son of the living God. You're the promised one. You're the Son of God, the Son of Man. So much summed up into that. Peter understood that Jesus came in some way to take away their sin. Of course, they would see that ultimately fulfilled on the cross when Jesus died in our place, that his righteousness might be imputed to us, given to us, and our sin given to him. But what a pressing question who do you say that I am? Peter gives that wonderful answer. Then Jesus follows it up with this promise in verse 18. It says, and I tell you, you're Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is a, a passage with a beautiful context. 
this is a passage that, in spite of that, is not without its controversy. Uh, there's been um, many debates, uh, many different opinions. Uh, it has literally divided the church as to who the rock is and what it is that Christ is going to build his church on from Roman Catholicism that says Peter was the first pope and he would build his church on the popes and that succession that comes from those. There are others that say, no, Peter was simply a representative of the group as a whole and he's going to build his church on that first group of disciples and those that they pass it down to. Others say, no, what he's going to build the church on is that confession and as much as I'd love to answer that for you today, I really would, would, would like to leave that with Tim just so that he can, he can have the, the burden and, and joy of, of walking you through that. Uh, now, really, the, the purpose today is not to deal with all the controversies of this passage, but to look at the beauty of it, because what it reminds us is that no matter how we interpret all of this, it's the promise that Christ builds his church and the church will prevail, right? And, and this is a promise for a, a church like the one I came from that's been in existence for, for seven, seven and a half years that's just getting started to remind that church, hey, Christ has built this church and it's going to prevail. It's the promise for a new group of believers that are gathering together in Ocean Springs to look at them and say, Look, this is not in our efforts. Christ will build his church, and the gates won't prevail against it. But you know what? It's also a promise to a church that's been in existence for over 125 years like this one, that Christ has built this church, that Christ has kept his word, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And, of course, all of us understand that this really is speaking of church in the capital letter C, that Christ is building his church universal. Individual congregations may come and go, but the church continually, steadily moves forward. So I want us to look at this verse, and I want us to look at three things in particular in it. One is that this promise that Christ builds his church. Again, look at the promise of Scripture here. He says, You are Peter... And on this rock, let me put some emphasis here, on this rock, I will build my church. Very explicit in this verse. No matter what we think of Peter, no matter what we think of the rock, no matter how we interpret that, we can't move away from this central truth that it is Christ who builds his church course build it he does flip back a few pages with me in your bible to matthew chapter 13 this wonderful parable that jesus gives in verses 32 and 33 and let me begin in verse 31 he says and he put another parable before them saying the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in the field it is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all of the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. Kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. 
Jesus just takes a common thing for them, a little bitty seed, and he said, this seed's going to become a tree. Here I am planting a church, taking you 12 gentlemen. You're small, you're insignificant. No one thinks anyone will come of this, but soon my church is where people will come for shelter. New Testament church started with 12. By the time you get to the book of Acts, you realize that that 12 has quickly become 120. It's not long after that that you realize that the preaching of Peter, 3,000 are converted, then 5,000 are converted. If you read the book of Acts, you realize that the church literally takes over the known world. That's the promise. I'm going to build my church. I, Christ, will build my church. Well, how does he build it? He builds it on the preaching of the gospel. He's already given them how he goes about it when he just looks at them and says, what do people say about me? How do we build the church? We take the name of Jesus to the masses and we get them to confess with us that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, that's the promise of Scripture. Let's look at the reality in our day. And I want to do three things with you in each of these points in looking at the reality of, of our day. I, I want to kind of tell you where I've come from, my little church in North Carolina, what we saw God do there. I want to tell you my expectations for Ocean Springs, and then I want to remind you of where God has brought you as a church over the past 125 or so years. So let's talk about what we saw at Redeemer, my church in Silva. Uh, Silva, North Carolina is a town of 2,000 people. The Church of Redeemer started as a dream of five families wanting a PCA church, a, 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 really a gospel church in their community where Reformed theology and worship and all of those things would be held forth. A biblical church was what they were asking for. So those five families soon became 12 families. Those 12 families continued to grow so that by the time we left there, that dream of five families became a reality of between 35 and 40 families, about 100 people involved in that church, worshiping God and making him known. Little bitty Silva, North Carolina, I will build my church. What's my expectation in Ocean Springs? Well, the exact same thing. We're already beginning to see a community develop there as we're opening our home every second and fourth Sunday of the month. Second Sundays, we do this thing called Second Sunday at the Sealies. We're slaves to alliteration. If you stay around us very long, you'll know that. But we just invite everyone that we know and tell them to invite others. So last month, we had 36 people at our house just for a gathering. We just shared a meal, got to know people, some we had never met, some we knew, some had never met each other. People in this world are starving for community. Open your homes. And then every fourth Sunday, we're gathering those families that have expressed an actual interest in being a part of a church plant. And already we've identified six or seven families that are willing to meet with us once a month to pray for a church plant in Ocean Springs. Tiny little mustard seed that we believe that God is going to build his church on. Well, let's look at First Presbyterian Church in Biloxi. 
I actually went to your website because I was hoping this information would be there. I was hoping I wouldn't have to walk and find some plaque in the church, but it's actually there. This church was founded in 1891. How many people knew that? I'm just curious. Okay. Good percentage of you. That's amazing. 125 or so years ago, there was a vision to plant this church on the coast of Mississippi. And this church is still in existence today. Did God honor that promise? Absolutely. He built his church here in Biloxi. Well, Christ doesn't just build his church. This passage also reminds us that Christ sends his church. And let's again look back at the passage. You're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's kind of implicit at this point. Christ sends his church. The church is always on the offensive, so much so that as the church storms the gates of hell, the gates of hell can't withstand the onward movement of Christ's church. And, of course, what's implicit here is clearly taught elsewhere. Does anyone remember right before Jesus dies, actually after Jesus has died, he's come back, he's gathered his disciples right before he ascends. And he's on the mountain and he's teaching them. And he gives them uh, these couple of verses that we have now called the Great Commission. Everyone ever heard that? Matthew chapter 28, verses 19, 20. I, I know we're Presbyterians. I've got just enough Baptists left in me that I may occasionally ask you to lift your hand, so... Forgive me for that, but we're, we're going to do that a couple times today. Matthew 28, 19 to 20, or 18 through 20. What does he say? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That gospel imperative to go, to ask people, who's Jesus? And once they know the answer, to bring them into the church to baptize them and to continue to disciple them and teach them. By the way, as I looked at your church's website, as it summarized the ministry, the mission of this church, that's exactly what you're stating. It's to go, to make Christ known, to disciple his people and be a part of that continuing sending out of others. Christ sends his church primarily by sending men. He sent Peter. He sent Paul. Through them, he later sent Timothy. He sent Titus. As a matter of fact, the thrust of the New Testament from the book of Acts to those pastoral letters that Paul wrote to Timothy and Titus to all the churches that Paul is writing, writing to is this idea that the gospel, the church, is continuing to move forward. New people, raising them up, training them. What do you tell Timothy? Things you've heard from me, entrust to faithful men who are going to be able to teach others also. So there in, the, in the, the pages of Scripture as the church is getting started, it's this idea that we're going, that we're multiplying, that we're continuing to look for new areas to take the gospel. Of course, he always sends the church with the exact same message. Do you realize what we're doing in Ocean Springs is no different than what was done in Biloxi in 1891? Zero difference. We're still asking the same question. Who's Jesus? Who do you say that he is? 
Do you recognize that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? So let's look at the reality of our day. Here's what we saw at Redeemer. Remember how I talked about the church is always sending? One of the struggles of a church, and I think you guys have experienced this here, is that churches grow, and just the time you think someone is going to be a part of us, God moves them elsewhere, right? The church is always sending people out. Sometimes that's formally. Sometimes churches raise up men. Uh, they're called into the ministry, and the church glorious, gloriously sends them to seminary, sends them to the mission field, sends them wherever. Sometimes you have a pastor for a season, and God calls him elsewhere, and you let them go to take that message somewhere else, knowing that God will put someone back in this pulpit, right? What we saw at Redeemer was amazing. One of the things we expected, Redeemer was next to Cullowee, which is where Western Carolina University is, and there was a Reformed University Fellowship ministry there. And we knew that we would have students every year that would be with us one, two, three, sometimes four years, and we'd always send them off to hopefully go and minister to others. We, we would have them for a season so that they could be useful for the broader church later. One of the things we did not anticipate is how many people would move to our community for one year, two years, three years, and then go elsewhere. Over the course of our seven years there, we probably saw, not counting students, 150 to 200 people coming through our doors, plugging into our church in order for God and his infinite wisdom, which, by the way, wouldn't have been mine, <laughs> um, but God's wisdom is better than mine, these people would be with us for a season and would go elsewhere. Not because they didn't like Redeemer, but because God had different plans for their life right? Sometimes we're here for a season, sometimes we're here longer, but the idea is that God is constantly sending his people out all over this world. What do we expect in Ocean Springs? Well, I expect a roller coaster ride of people. I expect us, the average church plant within 10 years is a brand new congregation than what they started with. Almost no churches after year 10 have any of the people that were part of that starting group. Isn't that amazing? So you have to constantly be adding new people to make up for those that God moves elsewhere. So I expect going into Ocean Springs, that roller coaster of people, but I expect in that roller coaster of people a gospel focus on missions, especially on church planting across the coast. My my prayer is that the Ocean Springs plant is the first of several plants that all of us, First Pres Biloxi, First Pres Gulfport, the Ocean Springs Church, that we're all able to see gospel churches multiplying across this coast. So what have you seen at First Presbyterian Church in Biloxi? You've been around since 1891. Uh, anyone part of that original group here today? Who's been here 50 years or longer? A handful. Who's been here 25 years or longer? A greater handful. Who's been in this church less than five years? Do you see that? Do you see how God keeps bringing people in and keeps sending people out? But one of the things that impresses me about First Presbyterian Church Biloxi, and you know, Tim and I have lunch together about once a week, 
I know your struggles. I know that y'all are barely making it budgetarily. I know that it's a down season for the church. Church life kind of ebbs and flows. But do you know this church continues to send missionaries? This church continues to support things other than itself at a time when it would be so natural to draw in internally. This church is thinking, how can we send the gospel out externally? And to be honest with you, I'm a beneficiary of that. Tim is the chairman of the missions committee. He's been the, the champion for getting another church here on the coast. Your elders have graciously said, Philip, come over and use our church once or twice a week for your own studies. So I have a little cubicle office kind of thing set up in here that many of you may not know unless you walk into a Sunday school room and see a stack of boxes about this high full of my books. I'm, I'm scared to unpack them because I don't want to pack them back up. So I just keep pulling out what I need and hoping that I can find it in those boxes. But your church is part of sending me, and thank you for that. Thank you for not giving up on this idea that God sends the church. God didn't call the church to become internal, right? Christ builds his church. Christ sends his church. But then the final thing that we see in our text this morning is that Christ protects his church. You're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Again, very explicit language in this passage. Of course, the idea there is that the church is constantly under attack, and really that shouldn't surprise us at all, right? Jesus suffered. Jesus told his followers to expect the same type of suffering and persecution that he had. It's always been the case in the church. Remember in Acts 20 when Paul gathered the Ephesian elders together and he said, keep careful watch over yourself and the flock under you because savage wolves are going to come up from amongst you and lead the flock astray. He's basically looking at his elders and saying, Elders, be diligent because in every congregation there's always that possibility, strong possibility, that there's going to be a troubler of Israel, someone that, that you have to battle with. We expect the fight from without, and it's becoming increasing in our day, isn't it? What we don't always expect is the battles from within, but that is what Christ promises, but notice this. He's going to be with us till the end. He's going to preserve his church. Now, let's look again at the reality of our day. The enemy hasn't stopped attacking, and he never will. Although Jesus penned this 2,000 years ago, the reality is still here today. Let me tell you what we saw at Redeemer. Year one, our entire provisional session quit. We had a conflict of leadership, and they walked away. At year three, as we were raising up our internal leadership, part of that sending, God sent every one of our potential elders hundreds of miles away, and with them a third of our budget. About year four, we had a, um, a member in our church 
um, that got crossways with some other members in our church and began to stir up all kinds of trouble and dissension. All of these things took patience, um, forthrightness on the, on the leaders that were in place to deal with appropriately and to see Christ honor this promise. Trouble, yes. Crushing the church, no. The church prevailed. The church was stronger the day we left than it ever was the whole time we were there. Matter of fact, uh, I had a conversation with someone last night who, who even encouraged me, or excuse me, yesterday, who even encouraged me that the church is actually growing right now without a pastor. And it's stronger now than had I stayed. There's that promise. I'll build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. So what do we expect at Ocean Springs? Well, actually at Ocean Springs, I expect everything to go perfectly and for us to never have any trouble. <laughs> right. I'm fully aware, walking into Ocean Springs, that trouble will come. That's why these promises are so important. Well, what about Biloxi? I have no first-hand knowledge. I think I've worshipped with you all twice. I think I've had lunch with Tim uh, uh, more than twice, uh, probably five or six times. And Tim, like a good pastor, doesn't come and say, here's what's going on with this person, here's what's going on with this person, here's what's going on with this person. We just talk in general terms um, about the life of pastoral ministry. Um, but if I, had, if I had never been to this church, if I just was driving, if I was here for cruising the coast and stuck my head in because I had this really cool car, which I don't, and, uh, and your pastor was gone and someone said, hey, do you happen to be a pastor? And I said, well, yes, I do. And you said, well, would you preach for us today? And I said, well, yes, I will. And I came up here today with no knowledge of this church, having never seen it before, I would know that this church has troubles. Why? Because I have biblical grounds for knowing that. I would know that you've had your ups and downs. I would know that there have been seasons of struggle. I'd know there have been seasons of triumph. I would know that in the hearts of some people there's discouragement and, and frustration. I would know that somewhere in this church someone is frustrated with someone else. Why would I know that? Because of the sinful heart of man. Because of the need of the gospel in all of us, right? But here's the promise. And here's the encouragement for you. 125 years, you can look back and say, yep, we went through that. We went through that. This church has literally weathered storms, right? Christ has kept his church. And he will continue to preserve his church. So how do we wrap this up? Well, we've got great reminders here. Christ builds his church. Christ sends his church. Christ protects his church. And normally when I preach, I pause periodically to take the text and apply it to the heart. I've saved that for the end because I think you need this big picture of all of this. Christ promised he's going to build the church. He's done that here. Christ promised he's going to send his church. He's done that and is doing that here. Christ promises he's going to protect or preserve his church. 
So what do we do with that information? Well, two things we need to look at. One is, what do we do with it as a church? How does First Presbyterian Biloxi look at this passage? Well, let me ask all of you, corporately, will you continue to trust Christ to build his church? Will you continue to preach, to proclaim the gospel, that wonderful news that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Will you continue to proclaim that the hearts of man are sinful? Christ died for sinful men. Christ is the answer to your sin. Will you continue to do that? And, and, and maybe even a harder question, will you continue to sin? Will you continue to rejoice that the gospel goes forth outside the walls of these church? That's you as a church, but what about you as individuals? Would you be willing this morning to examine your heart and to ask yourself some tough questions such as, am I part of conflict in the church? Am I one of those ones that Paul warned the elders about? Have I been stirring up trouble? Who do I need to go to and ask their forgiveness? What do I need to do to repent of this and other sins? But maybe the most pressing question of all for all of us is the question that Jesus asked the apostles. Who do you say that Jesus is? And in your heart, do you believe that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God? Do you know you're a sinner? Do you know Jesus came as God and man to satisfy the just punishment for your sin? Do you know that he took your sins on the cross? Do you know that he has given you his righteousness in its place? If you know that, then you know that this promise is true. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for our time to gather, to worship you, to rejoice in your goodness for us. Thank you for causing your name to be known for over 125 years here in Biloxi. Would you continue to do that? Would you be with Tim and the elders of this church as they lead this church forward? Would you give not just Tim and the elders, but every person in this congregation a sense of mission to make you known, to open up their lives and homes to others? Would you prosper this church? Would you prosper the Ocean Springs Church? Would you prosper the gospel on the coast of Mississippi? Father, would you build your church in such a way that the gates of hell will not prevail against it? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.